Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the bi-weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Hey Phoebe. Hey Jules, how are you? I am good, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm enjoying the sun, I'm on a week off work this week because I'm doing a a kind of face-to-face module for my MBA, so I'm studying luxury industries and branding. So even though I'm having to take annual leave to do that because my organization doesn't offer a study leave, it is nice to kind of be doing something a little bit different because obviously most of the last 15, 16 months have just been spent at this exact same desk, actually, but at least now I'm studying something slightly different. So so how are you finding this module then? Love it, honestly. And the thing is, before doing an MBA, I don't think I realized how diverse it can be and like how many different skill sets there are. There's a lot of stuff. Obviously, I know there's so much dialogue around work from home and flexible working and things like that at the moment. And it's just so interesting in studying modules that very much so corroborate the idea that like I'm doing economics of well-being, for example. It's like actually the happier your workforce are, the better a work-life balance you give them, the more profitable and the more kind of advantageous it is for the business as a whole and it's just interesting because I know a lot of people that I know personally are not having that experience necessarily with their own organizations. Yeah I think prioritizing wellness is similar to prioritizing diversity I feel like so often it's like buzzwords and then it's really difficult for people to get down to the economics of it and also you have some people where philosophically they're just against wellness. You know what? I think that that's actually such a good point. And I think that people don't necessarily realize that they are, but they're so used to abiding by the status quo. And I remember when I started working in recruitment, like my first job in the city and RMD was like, you know, when I was doing this, I just had Rolodex and a phone and I just have to hit the pavement and blah, blah, blah. And you use the phrase sometimes on the podcast, enemy of progress. And It's so funny how people are so obsessed with maintaining the status quo. It's like, well, I had to do this and it was hard. I had to work long hours or I didn't get to see my kids in the evening. So instead of being in any way committed to changing that for the younger workforce that are now coming up, I instead want to maintain that structure. It's fascinating. It's so fascinating. And when you think about progressive ideas like wellness, I would say that diversity and inclusion is quite a new and progressive idea in the workplace. Even when people say they are interested in those things, they want to pay lip service to it without thinking it will impact the status quo. 100%. And one area that I'm always so interested in is the monetization of wellness. You would rather pay for your workforce to do yoga class on a Thursday and be like, you've got a half day on a Friday. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I've I've ticked the box of handling wellness within our organization. Whereas it's like, well, actually, if you, and not necessarily all the time, but if we speak in generalizations here, if you suddenly create a compulsory attendance yoga class on a Thursday, or you leave the option for a yoga class on a Thursday, essentially what will happen is if you're not doing anything else within your organizational structure to manage wellness as you said people just have to stay later on a Thursday to finish their work because you're not showing any kind of flexibility in what KPIs or targets look like yeah exactly and then you have that yoga class but then if somebody comes to you with a genuine 
issue um, that they're struggling to manage around their wellness, you shut them down or like ignore it. So 100%. It's an interesting concept for the workplace for sure. And I think it will be a conversation that continues for quite some time. I mean, we always say about Gen Z, like Gen Z are the ones really changing the game in this regard. There was an interesting podcast, one of Ezra Klein's more recent episodes, and I can't remember who he was speaking with. But basically, it was about the idea of a 15 hour work week, because realistically, in terms of all of the developmental progress that we've made, you know, the infrastructure that we've created, it should be completely feasible to have a 15 hour work week or a four day work week, you know, even if you didn't want to go that extreme with it. But we are unable to let go of the the structure of a five-day work week, two-day respite. And during that two-day respite, you invariably have to also complete life admin. It's like, yeah, we've been conned. Oh, yeah, massive con. But I think what will happen is, just like with anything else, companies that want to attract the best talent will end up rolling out things like this independently just like you know they have their own benefits program and then one of those benefits will be a four-day work week and so it will be the laptop class eventually they get the taste of that four-day work week first I do see a four-day work week happening eventually I'm not saying it's going to happen right now but I definitely see that as being used as some kind of benefit to attract people just like working from home or flexible working is now something that you use to attract the right talent. I hope you're right. I guess we'll see. We're so in the middle of it. It's almost like we're in the I don't hope I'm right because ultimately it's like, it's just going to be people at the top companies that can benefit from that. And also the challenge that, like you said, that if there are additional hours that are required, you'll just be making up for that on on different days. (laughs) It'll be Yeah, you'll just be doing (laughs) you'll be doing a five-day work week in four days I feel I'm doing that I feel I'm doing like six days in five days well that will be the immediate response won't it oh if you can do five days work in four why can't you do six days in five and it's like the inappropriate answer is because I don't want to I literally just don't want to do that yeah I think attitudes to kind of work are changing Mm -hmm. especially what you see and I think it's happening in the UK where like the boss at Weatherspoon said, you know, we need workers. <laughs> like people are not yeah. trying to work in those conditions right now. So we'll see how that goes. We will. And obviously, like, as you said, that any change will be incremental. It will affect like the top companies first. And then there will be hopefully some kind of a trickle down effect. But I know that I think a lot of people I don't are experiencing see a national trickle down. Yeah. I don't see a national trickle down effect because, and I'm just talking about the UK specifically, this country is so conservative. I just can't see a four day work week in the UK. This country is not interested in that kind of thing. Not interested in progress. (laughs) progress. Not interested in it. All the country wants is the football to come home and that's it. I'm not interested in sports and I'm not, you know, I'm not anti-sports as oh, such. So but it... the football? No, oh God, I haven't seen a single game. I, I've just gotten like, I've, I, whatever, I support your right to go and oh, wow. watch it. But 
I honestly am like, oh, I'm so disinterested in this. And it's so interesting how culture like centers around this. You know what I think would be great? Put Love Island on in the pub. That would be great fun to watch in the pub because people would inevitably get into it. I haven't really been watching Love Island as much this year yet either. Full it disclosure. might be on in pub. But it's just, I don't know. It might be on. I don't think it, I don't think it is because it usually ends up being on around the same time that matches are on. Oh, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I also just don't think, you know, when things are kind of perceived as, as like quote unquote female culture, there is no interest in making that available to the masses. <laughs> yeah, but men are so into Love Island. Secretly, I feel. I remember people used to talk about it in the office. It's what got me into Love Island the first time I watched it. I haven't watched it for two years, so I have no interest. I Yeah, I've got no interest in Love Island. I feel like once it gets to a certain point in the summer, now I didn't watch it last year at all, but like once it gets to a certain point in the summer, I am interested because I just love watching things. Like we are very predictable animals and I love watching that play out in real time because I feel like every year when you watch Love Island, you're like, oh, that happened to me. Something very similar happened in my early 20s as well do you know what I mean it's so I did not I did not have that experience when I watched Love Island oh what like getting just binned off and things like that like (laughs) I'm not too proud to say I've been binned off in my past (laughs) (laughs) no no I haven't been watching Love Island I think what really kind of shook me over the last couple of weeks is actually um listening to Britney Spears testimony at her conservatorship hearing really shook me I've watched a few documentaries on this topic there was an episode on conservatorships or guardianships on an episode of Dirty Money on Netflix yeah and that really impacted me and it showed me how people can just come in and take over your life even when you're capable of running your life yourself like the process is incredibly sinister so that really shook me when I watched that But then I also watched the movie on Amazon. It's called I Care A Lot. And it's all about, you know, she basically creates a business and then eventually an empire that's based on guardianships. And in the movie, what they're exploring is the fact that there's so much nepotism in the courts. So they know that the guardians that they're going to call in, they know the lawyers that they're going to use. And it's an incredibly nepotistic culture. And when I was reading articles on Britney Spears, And I read an article in the New York Times, I think, this weekend, and they're talking about how there is a lot of nepotism in the courts. So she can't choose her own lawyer, but they know the type of lawyer that's going to be great to assign her. The entire process is so manipulative. And so when I heard her testimony, a lot of this had already affected me watching the documentary, watching the Britney Spears documentary, and then seeing these additional pieces of content and I was like oh my god this is awful this is awful how is this even legal and also the thing with the whole conservatorship culture is that if you abuse it like the way Jamie Spears is doing like if you abuse people under your care it's not a felony oh it's is it not no it's not wow. there's so much great area and so much leeway with all of these things and what they were saying in the New York Times article is that if you look at Britney Spears specifically, they were saying that prior to the conservatorship, she was down to her last few millions. But they, they said right. now under the conservatorship, she's worth around 60 million. So 
it's easy to paint a picture and say that the conservatorship has been to her benefit. But then if she wasn't working and if she had spiraled out of control under the conservatorship, that's also another way to justify the conservatorship. So whichever way you slice it, you can justify this conservatorship. But after I heard her testimony, I thought, oh man, they have to at least remove her dad from this conservatorship and they have to move this management team out. There is no way that somebody says, I have a forced IUD. The only other industry where you force someone to work in this way is sex trafficking. And they're just like, yeah, whatever. That I think has been the point that a lot of people have hinged on. And personally, it was one of the areas that I found most horrifying as well that, you know, and and the kind of the small ripple effects off the back of that. She's got a forced IUD. She wants to get married. She wants to have another baby, but she's not even allowed to be in the same car as her boyfriend. She and her boyfriend always have to be in separate cars. Like all of this kind of the the minutiae of your day to day that is just being so micromanaged. And I feel like I know that this isn't the point. You know, this is a kind of a, a symptom as opposed to the actual root of the problem. But there's something so unsavory to me. The idea of a parent managing their child's career so that they can personally profit off it, right? Like, obviously, you had various components, like Beyonce is one of the other most famous examples that you could probably use, where her parents had an active role in managing her career. But it's very clear that at a certain point, like, there was space for that relationship to end. And Beyonce has, you know, whatever about her her dad, who obviously turned out to be a bit of a not good guy and cheating on her mom and everything like that. Like, there was obviously space for her to be like, you know what, I don't want you guys to manage me anymore. I want to go down a more professional route so that we can maintain our relationship. And that has been allowed to happen. Whereas the idea that your priority when your daughter has had some kind of a nervous breakdown, right? And whatever state of mind you might think Brittany is in now, obviously circa 2007, she was not in a good place. But the idea that your priority would be, right, let's get her better so she can start working again. I don't trust her enough to be able to remove her own form of contraceptive device or make decisions about her own reproductive health. But I can certainly say that she is fit to perform eight times a week in Vegas. That's so flimsy. It's so suspect. It's exploitative. Yeah, absolutely. It's exploitative and it's fundamentally dangerous. And it's so strange that that whole kind of free Britney movement has been pushing this for so long when once the facts are kind of stated quite objectively, it's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. This is completely immoral. Even if she never wanted to perform again, even if she wanted to disappear, that should be her choice. That should be her right to do so. The idea that she's being held to ransom and being put on lithium and taken off lithium and then put back on lithium again is genuinely horrific. But I don't really have any word to the situation. And I think that the fact that she came out and she gave her testimony which was not the most coherent, like, testimony, right? It wasn't super well-prepared, but that's because this is someone who hasn't even been able to speak on her own behalf for Mm -hmm. over a decade. So, obviously, it was incredibly overwhelming. But the fact that they came back and they said, oh, no, the conservatorship stands as it was, I just felt was completely horrifying, and I don't feel that that would have been the result. First of all, you hear male celebrities acting up 
having breakdowns, becoming alcoholics, getting into drugs, doing all kinds of stuff. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think we've got an example of somebody who was as famous as Britney Spears having their life completely taken over. Like every single no. one of us would, but you could benefit from having someone else make your decisions, right? Like all of 100%. us could benefit from having someone make our decisions. Like that's not a legitimate argument in my, in my opinion. So I do feel it is sexism and I do feel it's deeply rooted in that. And it's just like having the mad woman in the attic. Yeah. You have got Mr. Rochester's first wife and she's just locked up there. <laughs> just locked up there, you know, but they've locked her up in her, in her home. And I think it, it came into starker contrast, you know, with Bill Cosby basically being let off. Oh, God, the duality of the legal system. Like, we are so happy to fuck over, essentially, women at every possible opportunity. And I thought that the Bill Cosby thing was so upsetting. And Felicia Richard's comment on it as well was just, so tone deaf it's just how do you come to that conclusion and that tells you how permissive and how prevalent assault culture and misogyny is in our society yeah exactly and I just saw that when she came out and said yes lord or whatever she was saying yeah. was like, <laughs> so happy. a terrible wrong has been righted exactly like, I thought you are gonna learn today there is no way that this is going to stand. And I just don't get why people do stuff like that. Like, okay, Bill is your friend, but you can have that conversation offline. If you want to be friends with a serial rapist, do your thing. But to know that you're a dean at a university and that you would come out and you would put that online was such a slap in the face to all the victims that have had the courage to speak up. 100%. It's really interesting because you're so right that like, you don't need to say that in a public forum and obviously whether you say it publicly or not there's also an issue with the fact that you think it right there yeah, you need some control, training yeah we can't control and people's thoughts right or who, who no, people are friends with totally it's more the idea that like and, and I know that because she is as you said she's a dean of Howard that Howard University are actually making like sexual assault training available to her so that she can oh is that what they're doing yeah, yeah. Apparently she is she is taking part in like compassion training, basically, to learn more about. Her. I don't know. I kind of thought that they would fire her as well, but I suppose they only just named her. So you don't necessarily want to do that 180 so quickly. But I agree with what you're saying. We can't control people's thought processes. It's more the idea that when you actually think about the fact that that opinion was voiced in a public forum, that means that you hold your beliefs with such conviction that you actually haven't even foresawn. Foresawn? That's not a word. <laughs> well, you haven't even conceived of the idea that people are going to have a, a problem with your opinion, you know? Yeah, but that really troubled me. And if you looked, and I, you know, I don't know how closely people have paid attention to it, but um, Bill Cosby was released on a technicality. In addition to the original deposition, right, five further witnesses were brought forward by the judge in the second case. So it actually became a situation where there was too much evidence against him 
like that fed into the technicality. He had obviously received a promise from the the district attorney in the first case and was told that this will not proceed to a second trial. You cannot be convicted of this. But then when the second judge allowed five further witnesses to come forward, it kind of almost acted as the nail in the coffin. And so that's why I was so surprised when you saw people coming out saying, you know, oh, thank God, an innocent man is walking free. It's like, well, actually, no part of this pertains to his innocence. He's not been found innocent. He's been let go on a technicality, which tells you again how the legal system works when you work it, but also that we are happy to let a guilty rapist, a serial sexual assaulter, free. Yeah, and I've been thinking about this stuff. I've been thinking, did Me Too make things better for women? I'm not sure because I'm getting the sense that people are doubling down even more. I feel like it's not making us more sensitive. It's not making us have more empathy. You know, if you look at the statistics, if you're in a room of women, chances are one or two of them have been sexually assaulted in some kind of way, let Mm -hmm. alone if you're gonna put a message out on Twitter. And so when I'm looking at this behavior, I'm like, oh, we're actually not moving in the right direction. Even um, Ice-T, who's in Law and Order Special Victims Unit, is tweeting out banter about Bill Cosby being released from jail. Really? Yes. And people are like, bro, you've been on XUV for years. Have you not learned anything? Oh my gosh, that's so, it's so strange. Again, it's like, people want to talk about, oh, snowflake society, you can't joke about anything anymore. You can joke about it, but... Some people are now aware that it's not funny. I just don't find jokes about sexual assault funny, full stop. And so if you're going to be like, oh, it's just banter, everyone's so sensitive, everyone takes these things so seriously. Actually, this is the level of seriousness. This is the base level of seriousness that we should have been treating this with. And I think it's, you know, when you say is the the Me Too movement made things better or not, I think it becomes one of those situations where, I think it allowed us to have discussions with more compassion in a more intimate setting. But what has now invariably taken place is that there is like a like a retroactive micromanaging of what does and doesn't count. And, oh, well, you say this happened, but, you know, that's not as bad as what happened to this person. And so what ultimately we seem to do as humans is turn things into the the pain olympics and so where in the initial aftermath of you know the kind of the me too crescendo as it were everyone was being encouraged to share their stories and find their voice and it could have been a time of really seismic positive change i think what's happened now is it's as i said devolved into the pain olympics where you're not allowed to talk about your sexual assault unless you were literally held at gunpoint and you were totally sober and it was the middle of the day. And then that happened to (laughs) Gabrielle Union. And she was like, oh, well, guess what? If that's the criteria, that's exactly how I was sexually assaulted. And people were basically like, no, no, not like that. You know, we're always looking for this unimpeachable, perfect victim. And that's only gotten worse the longer that Me Too conversations have gone on for because people always end up saying, well, it certainly wouldn't bother me if that happened. I don't mind being groped as long as I'm not raped, you know? 
So it's uh, I'm just kind of really flabbergasted by it. I hope the general consensus about Cosby getting out is it's unfortunate that he could get off on a technicality, but that's what happens when you're rich and powerful. Um, He could obviously afford the defense to make that happen. But seeing people kind of come out who should know better and make light of it just made me really uncomfortable. And then obviously, you know, that's happened in the same week as Cosby gets out and like Britney just have to continue in like servitude. <laughs> and you you made the interesting point of, you know, men are allowed to sin as much as they want, basically. And, you know, obviously Kanye West's experience with bipolar has been well documented and been alluded to by himself and by his partner before they announced their split, whatever. But it's so interesting when you think about it, even when... Kanye was in like a low period or when he was going off the rails or whatever there were never any discussions about like better stop this man having any more children it's time for us to ensure that the one thing Kanye West does not do is reproduce you know on on Twitter asking Mark Zuckerberg for money (laughs) no one is saying we need to take control of his finances yeah and so I'm just hoping that the Free Britney movement continues because like her fans have done such a great job with like keeping a public conversation about this going. And I'm hoping that they can find a way to kind of remove the current team, even if they feel that she does require this additional support, remove this current team because it's just not acceptable, really. Agreed. I think yeah. it's just been one of those, um, I mean, it's it's never like, oh, it's been a great week for women whenever we're talking about things like been a rough few weeks for him but obviously then the other huge thing that's happened has been Shakari, the US runner who has been basically told that she can't compete in the Tokyo Olympics because she smoked weed that's just another awful situation when you look at her I was like wow this girl is like so fabulous and like the internet was embracing her and then you hear that oh Apparently, she can't compete potentially in the individual race. But because the relay is a couple of days after, she'll be able to compete in the relay. So that's what they're saying about her. That's almost worse. I don't know. It's almost like we don't want to run the risk that she would just get to be celebrated in her own right. But if she's going to... And obviously, as I'm saying this, I'm saying it like under the assumption that she's going to bring home the gold. Obviously, that we don't know that that's going to be the case, whatever. But it's like you can share the limelight with three other people as part of a relay team. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to run the risk that you personally will just get to benefit from too much positive attention. Yeah, and it's very, because um, there are a couple of issues here, I think, that intersect, right? Weed is not a performance-enhancing drug. And the state where she was smoking weed, cannabis is legal. So she didn't do anything illegal. Mm -hmm. Where I respect her is that she said, I know this is a banned substance and I take responsibility for my actions. So she did all of that. And I thought she showed a lot of courage and she showed a lot of leadership in taking ownership of that. But the challenge I have is that, you know, we've seen athletes smoke weed and they they haven't lost... Like the opportunity that she's losing is incredibly huge. If she can't totally. individually, like her career hasn't even started. And so there's a lot of discussion again about, you know, Michael Phelps was out here smoking a bong. 
the picture was held and then it was released after he had competed because obviously they know that the drama that it was going to cause. And then people are just saying, you know, why is she being treated differently to other athletes? And not that it's the, it's not the same substance. And I'm going to do like a, a half-assed story yeah. here. But Ryan Lochte, who was also an American athlete, didn't he have something where he was like driving under the influence? He pretended that they had been held at gunpoint. It turned out not to be true. Like it was very bad. That was in that was in Rio. Yes. Oh my god. And it turned out the whole thing was basically fabricated, and they were just massively driving under the influence. Yeah, and he was near thirty, and they were like, "Oh, boys will be boys." Incredible. But that's why people have an issue with this because there. Are, have been examples of athletes behaving badly athletes making mistakes when you look at her specific context where she was saying i had recently found out that my biological mother had passed away i was just really kind of struggling with the pressure so it really was like an anxiety she was using smoking weed to to cope with her anxiety basically it just feels that it's been handled with just like a lack of compassion and what you also see in the press is that the press are like banned substance banned substance so can you be specific about the substance because if it was any of your other beloved athletes you would be being specific about the substance you would be emphasizing the fact that it's not performance enhancing and you'd be trivializing it when you go around and you put shikari richardson and you say banned substance that insinuates that she's doping and she's on performance enhancing drugs i didn't like that It's also strange because I know that this is part of like a broader conversation, but alcohol and alcoholism is so normalized in our society. And the idea of binge drinking, it's very much so, oh yeah, that's just something you do. And the prevalence in culture is things like mummy juice. You know, you get those personalized wine glasses where it's like mummy Mm -hmm. juice or like whiskey glasses where it says daddy's juice, all of this kind of stuff. And you noted that obviously Shakiri's biological mother had passed away and the coping mechanisms are so interesting to me because if she had just gone out binge drinking for three days, it wouldn't have been an issue. Yeah. And it just leaves such an unsavory taste because there's always this thing where it's like oh weed is so bad for you i personally don't smoke weed but i also would never be morally resplendent about the fact that i do drink alcohol so (laughs) it's not like oh i'm taking the healthier option by only drinking four martinis a night like (laughs) yeah but also it's a the real issue or one of the issues here is that when it comes to marijuana when it comes to weed the criminalization of black people compared to oh boys will be boys always oh, just a bong elon is out here on joe rogan smoking his bong living his life annoying the sec right it's like i really want us to get past that because it has real percussions you know, and that's the issue. And that's why a lot of it, it, it does become a racialized conversation. It's not just about, oh, the Olympics and how they're enemies of progress. You know, people are saying that the Olympics should take weed off of their banned substances list because a lot of athletes do smoke weed for recovery reasons. Obviously, she was here having a specific episode in her life. She was smoking weed because of her anxiety. And it's like, what what is the reason that this is on the banned substances list when it's not performance enhancing? And it's like this preservation of the good old days this complete unwillingness to adapt and innovate and and change and make these 
make these systems or make these structures more inclusive because as you said this conversation about weed being on the bad su- banned substances list excuse me is important in light of what we know do you know what i mean you can't be legalizing marijuana in 19 states and you know monetizing cbd oil and then saying oh well i'm sorry it's actually on the the banned substances list for the olympics and it's also happening in the context of the olympic committee also saying that they don't want to allow for those swimming caps that are kind of adapted for want of a better word for natural hair um yeah, for, so black women. Cap for afro hair they said no they can't be used and they said no elite athlete has ever needed yes and they don't fit the natural form of the head it's so frustrating and I can't imagine how frustrating it must be to be an athlete like I as someone who wasn't particularly interested in sport find it so frustrating to read these things and be like oh these rules are we had a lot of feedback a couple of weeks ago when we spoke about Naomi Osaka saying that she didn't want to do the press conferences during the French Open a lot of people were saying she knew what she signed up for blah 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 like you can't sign up for a structure or an institution like this and then think that you can just make your own rules mm. and I get that narrative I really do but also could you think for just a quick second about how unnecessary some of these structures and some of these rules are we don't need to just keep them in place because they've always been in place yeah, but that whole thing about the rules are the rules really irritated me. Because, yeah, the rules are the rules when it comes to people like Shakari Richardson who don't have the right skin colour, the privilege, the means to challenge it. You know, when you hear about her life and like clearly everything that she's been through, she doesn't seem to have come from some dynasty family, right? She's out here on her own just trying to build her future and share her talent with the world and be successful. And I just felt I just felt really heartbroken for her because she was thrust into the national stage because she does have this great image. She's fly, she's super cool. And then what comes with that is obviously more of a spotlight when something like this happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now and she's then- not lost Nike sponsorship. Nike have said that they're going to stand by her, which is great because I know yeah, that someone will say Nike is such a mess, right? And I think that, there's so much stuff going on with Nike behind the scenes where Nike actually treats, they treat their athletes really poorly. And also, you know, with the Olympics coming up, when Alison Felix was pregnant, Nike dropped her. I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember all that, but like Nike dropped her. She's the most decorated female athlete in the US, dropped her because they don't have a maternity policy, right? And her getting pregnant just didn't work with the contract that she had at the time. And now she's coming back to the Olympics again this year. But I guess, yeah, it's good that Nike haven't dropped her. But her winning the 100 metres, like there's a big difference with her, like in terms of like her earning potential, what that opportunity to race means for her is huge. So I do hope she gets it. I don't know if they're going to overturn it or what the situation is. Yeah, it's it's a tough one because often I don't think that people are swayed by the court of public opinion. And so while it might be, or like institutions aren't always swayed by the court of public opinion, I don't think the Olympics will change their mind on this one. I don't know if it brings her any comfort to know that people don't agree with this ruling. But as you said, if you're not born with the kind of a silver spoon, which often, you know, like professional athletes are, because it means that they've been able to devote their time and their energy and their lives to this kind of level of training, right? But if you aren't born 
within a kind of support system like that that doesn't require you ever to get like a like quote unquote proper job decisions like this have a huge impact on you because it impinges on your ability to to earn to be secure to get other sponsorships and basically continue to train at the same level that you have been training at up until this point yeah I think we just wanted to share our thoughts on that you know sometimes life isn't fair we do hope that things work out for Shakari. and yeah I don't know if you've got any any other final thoughts Phoebe before we wrap up I guess the overriding theme obviously of of this week's episode is that some people really do make the rules work for them some people are able to manipulate the power structure in such a way that they do quite literally get away with some of the worst crimes imaginable being a serial rapist is is up there as far as I'm concerned and you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said sometimes life isn't fair but that doesn't mean that other people aren't recognizing that it isn't fair on your behalf and I think it's kind of some quite heavy heavy examples or heavy themes in this week's episode so I think sometimes that can be helpful in in terms of getting a dialogue started feel free to share the episode with a friend thank you so much for listening everyone find us on Instagram and TikTok at Jules Phoebe thank you for listening bye bye